Chapter Twenty Nine of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter Twenty Nine by Thomas W. Knox. The Spider and the Fly mock auctions bogus horse sales and other traps for the unwary personal experiences legislators have for a long time sought to put an end to a form of swindling carried on under the pretense of selling goods at auction lawyers have exhausted their ingenuity in framing measures for the suppression of the mock auction fraud but every time they secure the passage of a bill with that object in view somebody equally shrewd will discover a loophole in it the snake has been scotched but not killed some of the mock auctions have been broken up while others continue to flourish the heaviest blow was struck when the law required that auctions should be advertised in the daily papers with the list of the articles to be sold this put an end to the establishments along park row and chatham street where the swindling was very thinly disguised but it did not strike some of the dry goods auctions on broadway all that was necessary to do to evade the law was to keep a standing advertisement in an obscure paper announcing sales every day of assorted lots of gentlemen's furnishing goods calicoes ginghams muslins and other fabrics the property of concerns that desired to make clearances of old stock etc i used to stroll occasionally into one of these establishments and watch the operations of those who ran the place the first time i went there i was evidently looked upon as a promising customer as the auctioneer began knocking down things at an alarmingly rapid rate to half a dozen men who stood around a table and were evidently buying liberally what name said the auctioneer as he knocked down a dozen pairs of socks to a thin smooth-faced man of about sixty years barmore was the reply and the auctioneer called out mr barmore to the clerk who stood just behind him the package was charged to the gentleman and then another lot this time of five dozen pairs was put up this lot was quickly sold the auctioneer demanded repeatedly how much am i offered for these socks by the dozen how much how much gentlemen lot after lot was sold and there were numerous glances in my direction i showed no indication of making an offer and one of the buyers who had remained constantly by my side and was disposed to be communicative asked me if i didn't want some of these goods which were going very cheap i don't care for them i answered they're cheap it's true but just now i don't want any he told me he was a merchant at trenton new jersey and had dropped in by accident things are going so low said he that i've laid in enough of some kinds of goods to last me a whole year business began to lag when another man dropped in evidently a stranger like myself then the activity and eager buying and selling were renewed and the buyers took everything that was offered the stock of gentlemen's footgear seemed inexhaustible 
the stranger bought one of the five dozen lots and as soon as the goods had been knocked down to him he and the other purchasers were asked to step to the rear of the store where the bookkeeper would make out their bills at this point the auctioneer suddenly announced that the sale was over for the forenoon and would be resumed at two o'clock it was his time to go to lunch he said as he had breakfasted very early that morning and he hoped to see all of us at the hour named for the resumption as i could frame no good excuse for remaining i departed leaving mr barmore and the other purchasers to settle their accounts you ask what happened after i left well the stranger who was a bona fide purchaser received a bill for the goods at a rate which astonished him he had bought five dozen pairs of socks at seventy cents by the dozen and expected to pay three dollars and fifty cents for the lot but the bill was made out at seventy cents for each pair or forty-two dollars for the quantity he had purchased he demurred the auctioneer explained that by the dozen meant that they did not sell less than one dozen pairs to any one they never broke a package mr barmore and the other fraudulent purchasers sustained this view of the case and with great alacrity proceeded to settle their bills at that rate meantime the doors had been closed the stranger realized that he was caught in a trap and he concluded that the best way out of the difficulty was to pay the bill and put it down to experience had he refused to pay he would have been threatened with arrest and as all the other buyers held precisely the same views as the auctioneer the victim would have had no witnesses in his behalf half an hour later i again entered the place and the auction which had been postponed until two o'clock was in full blast with the same buyers as before for years the same crowd was there and whenever i went inside something was knocked off to mr barmore but i was always recognized and no effort was made to induce me to invest in the goods offered for sale i always observed that the articles to be disposed of were by the dozen and the dozen was evidently a combination very popular with the managers of this fraud after many arrests and escapes the chief promoter of the mock auction business was sent to state prison for a long time the law was powerless to suppress the fraud and the mayor could only give protection to citizens by sending out a daily procession of men and boys to parade up and down the street bearing banners on which was painted the legend beware of mock auctioneers a story was current at this time to the effect that henry ward beecher having come over to new york to study human nature went into one of these auction rooms and in order to hide his purpose bid and successfully for some small article as the auctioneer knocked down the great preacher's purchase he horrified him by shouting out his name mr beecher hastened to make payment and said in a low voice how did you know my name i did not want to be recognized oh mr beecher was the loud reply i've had a pew in your church these last two years 
doubtless the story is an invention of the enemy and yet it might have pleased the large-hearted pastor of plymouth church had it been true another fraudulent auction is that of cigars they are sold by the box but the fraud does not consist in following the same plan as in the dry goods swindle but in selling goods that would be dear at nothing at all five ten or twenty boxes are offered in a lot and one box is opened as a sample the cigars present a good appearance and a customer may smoke one from the sample if he likes and if he does he will find it fairly good they are in boxes of fifty and go readily at from one to two dollars a box the economical smoker thinks he has found a good thing and buys liberally if he wishes to look on the inside of each and every box no objection is made to his doing so but naturally the inspection is a hurried one the cigars are all right to the eye and he is well satisfied with his speculation it is not until he undertakes to smoke one of his purchases that he learns how badly he has been deceived they are as before stated all right to the eye but there is where their goodness ends as men do not smoke with their eyes they have little use for this kind of cigars which are made of straw wrapped in paper colored so as to exactly resemble the tobacco leaf and they are altogether the basest kind of counterfeit of course the sample that the purchaser smoked was from another lot i narrowly escaped buying five hundred of these cigars the first time i dropped into the place my suspicions were aroused by the rapidity with which several flashy men were purchasing and so i concluded to wait meeting a friend a block or two below i told him of the cigar auction and how cheaply the goods were going yes said he i bought two hundred there last week and took them home i tried to smoke one then tried another with the same result and then i broke a dozen or so of them open they were all alike nothing but straw and brown paper and i threw the lot into the ash-barrel i wouldn't insult a tramp by offering him one of those cigars one of the most flourishing swindles in the metropolis is that of the bogus horse-dealer in some of the morning papers may be found every day in the year an advertisement of one two or more horses for sale at a private stable the property of a gentleman about going to europe or to the south or to california for his health or some other reason is given why the animals should be disposed of immediately here is a copy of one of these advertisements clipped from a paper now lying before me a gentleman's continued ill health compels him to sacrifice immediately his very handsome stylish fast-trotting road and family horse fifteen and a half hands a free easy pleasant driver kind and true in all harness afraid of nothing and perfectly gentle also pet horse for ladies driving both warranted young and sound great bargains to quick purchasers apply to groom at private stable one thirty seven west blank street 
you and i know a good horse when we see it and as we are not averse to a purchase at fair rates we will answer this advertisement in person we go around to the stable and find it is in charge of a man who says that he is the groom referred to in the advertisement and that he represents the owner of the horses he states that the owner mr blank lives at yonkers and has sent the stock here for sale and taken the private stable in order to avoid the tricks of the precious rascals who are always to be found at public establishments at length he shows the horses and dilates upon their superior qualities and wonderful pedigrees and then asks if we are engaged in the horse-dealing business we tell him we are not that we are buying if we buy at all for our own use either here or in the country he is apparently relieved by this information and then returns to the subject of the sale the driving horse looks very well and is apparently in good condition and is especially praised by the groom who says it is well worth three hundred dollars but mr blank is willing to close it out at two hundred to a private gentleman who will appreciate and care for it while we are talking and discussing the merits of the animal a stranger well-nigh out of breath enters who states that he has read the advertisement and wants to see the horses he is a pompous bustling sort of man and evidently accustomed to quick transactions after looking the stock over the newcomer finally settles on the horse that was just offered to us for two hundred dollars examines it carefully and pronounces it a remarkably fine beast then he meditates a moment and says off-hand i like that horse pretty well and will come to business right off i'll give two hundred and fifty dollars spot cash for him and not another cent are you a dealer in horses queries the man in charge yes is the reply i'm anderson of new haven everybody up that way knows me i buy hundreds of horses in new york every month and have ten carloads on the way from kentucky now then you can't have this horse says the other mr blank gave me strict orders that the horses were not to be sold to any dealer but to private parties only you see he's much attached to these horses and wants to be sure that they go where they'll be appreciated and well treated just as they always have been mr anderson is greatly surprised at these remarks and says a little impatiently that his money is as good as any other man's it isn't a question of money at all is the quick reply but a whim of mr blank's he's rich enough to give away the horses for nothing if he's a mind to and he'd never feel it either and if he can't sell em to the right parties private parties mind you he'll send em to squire woods and pay their board and keep em doing nothing for the rest of their lives the discussion grows hot each party becoming more and more excited and during this war of words the horse is offered to us as we are private gentlemen for two hundred dollars we decline to purchase and as we leave mr anderson of new haven follows us when we are well around the corner he overtakes us and says in a low and confidential tone 
look here gentlemen i suppose you don't mind making fifty dollars in about five minutes go back and get that horse for me for two hundred bring him round the corner here or over to the stable there just around the corner on the next block and i'll give you two hundred and fifty for him cash down you know what i offered the horse is well worth three hundred easy and i can make fifty on him besides expenses to new haven we eagerly take the opportunity thus offered to make a neat profit of fifty dollars and we return to buy the horse there is some demur by the groom because we are unknown but not much only enough to convince us of the sincerity of mr blank and his trusty agent the latter takes our word for it that we are what we represent accepts the money for the horse carefully blankets him strokes his nose fondly pats him on the neck and we proudly lead him out of the stable and around the corner where we confidently suppose mr anderson awaits us but he is not there he is evidently at the stable he pointed out to us just around the corner he is not in sight anxious inquiry at the stable reveals the fact that the people there know nothing about him we tell our story they bluntly inform us that we have been the victims of a fraud as the horse is really worthless having been doctored to make him look well we have only the consolation of learning that hundreds of other victims have been trapped in precisely the same way the game has been exposed in the papers over and over again but it thrives just the same some years ago i wanted to buy a saddle horse and one morning saw an advertisement of an animal that i thought might suit me the place as usual was a private stable and i went there not suspecting for a moment that there was anything crooked about it a man and a boy were in the stable and i thought nothing of the circumstance that the boy suddenly went out a moment after i entered the horse was led out of his stall in response to my inquiry and the man told me that the animal was six years old and belonged to a wall street operator whose doctor had told him he must give up horseback riding which increased a nervous affection from which he suffered the horse was a first-class all-rounder he said that is he was excellent under the saddle and equally good in harness was of gentle disposition though spirited and warranted perfectly sound and kind he could carry my weight easily as the wall street man was fully as heavy as myself and had ridden the horse for eighteen months the price was two hundred and fifty dollars while i was examining the horse and learning his history a large beery-faced man entered the stable and with an over-the-sea accent asked in a loud voice where's the saddle-horse mr wakeman was looking at here he is sir replied the man in charge indicating the very animal that i was considering the beery-faced man brushed me aside or rather took no notice of me and for some minutes was entirely engrossed in examining the horse he went over him critically carefully inspecting his teeth looking at his legs for ring-bone spavins splints curbs puffs and i don't know what else 
walked him around the stable, and made numerous other investigations supposed to pertain to the horse expert. Meanwhile, the boy returned, and when the examination was concluded, the stranger called him up, and said in a loud and commanding voice, "'Boy, go around to Mr. Wakeman's, number 192 on Blank Street, and say Dr. Bryan has looked at the horse he wrote about, and the horse is absolutely sound and just six years old, and worth three hundred dollars quick any day. Don't forget the name now, Mr. Wakeman, and say Dr. Bryan sent you. Remember, Dr. Bryan.' The boy went to deliver the message, and the doctor went out almost immediately, never noticing my presence in any way whatever, or saying another word to the stableman. The comedy was well played, with the exception of being overacted, and leaving on my mind the impression that it was rather odd that Dr. Bryan entrusted his message verbally to a boy he presumably had never seen before. Needless to say, I did not buy the horse. It occurred to me that possibly I should find Dr. Bryan at the nearest bar-room. There was one opposite the stable, and through the half-open door leading into the back room, which could easily be seen from the street, I saw the doctor seated at a table indulging in a drink with someone who appeared to be an acquaintance. This was evidently the retreat where he could be found when needed for business. A petty swindle occasionally practiced upon residents of the city is the following. A merchant goes downtown to business in the morning as usual. Along in the forenoon, a man nearly out of breath calls at his residence, who says he is a clerk in the gentleman's employ, and that just as he was crossing the street in front of his office, Mr. Blank was run over by a dray in charge of a careless drunken driver. He was not injured at all, but was covered with mud, and his clothes were so badly torn that he is quite unpresentable. He is attending to business in his back office, but cannot see anyone until he receives a decent suit of clothes from home. He wants his spare suit, the one he wore before he got the last one. In her excitement at the news of the accident, and her pleasure to know that her husband was not injured, his good wife hurries to make a bundle of the clothing asked for, and delivers it into the hands of the clerk. The clerk hurries away at the top of his walking speed. She thinks it is his anxiety to restore his employer to a presentable condition as soon as possible. But the fellow's speed comes from another motive. He turns the nearest corner, and then hies to a pawn-shop, where second-hand clothing can be spouted or sold. When the husband returns home to dinner, his wife is waiting for him at the door. "'Oh, I am so glad you weren't hurt!' she exclaims. "'It gave me an awful shock.' "'Shock? How?' queries the mystified husband. Oh, your clerk told me all about it, how you'd been run over and knocked down into the mud, and had your clothes torn, and—why, I declare, you've the same suit on you had this morning. Then follows an explanation. 
the woman cries and the man says something more vigorous than polite about the swindler who so cleverly got his spare suit of clothing as they sit down to dinner the husband and wife conclude to make the best of it and feel happy that the scoundrel didn't take them in for more end of chapter twenty nine